Yeah, the reason I actually like daily scale weight as well, just so you know, for me, um, I find when people actually have to weigh themselves and put it into, say, we're using Keystone, they put their data into Keystone every single day. Um, the app that we use with RBT is they become less of an asshole on the weekends. And the reason <laughs> I, say, I say the word asshole because, you know, we're on a plan to try and get a goal, to nourish your body, to feel amazing. And like, if you go and deviate from the plan, like you're essentially being a bit of an asshole, right? Um, In the nicest possible way. But if they have to put that data point in on a Saturday, Sunday and Monday, then they, they rethink it's like, oh, no, no, maybe I won't eat that uh, pizza and tub of Ben and Jerry's tonight because I know that will increase my weight tomorrow. So I'll just stick to my plan. And, you know, I think that's why another reason why sometimes I like doing in-body scans on Monday mornings and not Fridays because then they're like, oh, I don't want to stuff up my in-body scan on, um, on, for the week because I'm doing it straight after the weekend. So they're more compliant over the weekend because, you know, for this, this is where it sort of goes. Like when we look at... Um, people derail themselves generally on the weekend, right? Um, and I think, did you want to talk anything more? So we talked about so far, like, you know, setting up your calories, talked about macronutrients. We talked a little bit about, um, you know, like essentially what you should see as far as weight loss. Um, there is essentially the methods that we talked about before. Do you want to touch on this first? Like, you know, the different methods of paleo, vegan, low carb, um, keto, all the rest of it. Do you want to touch on this like very high level? Yeah, because I think we kind of did it in our first podcast on this yeah. silly season a little bit as well. Uh, but it, look, in, in actual fact, you know, we, we were being funny about it before, but like, you know, that this is what all diet books are. They're pretty much methods. They're not principles because yep. they all apply to the same principle. Okay, yep. It's just as many ways to do it. And um, I remember having this discussion with um, our good friend Kyle on his podcast about yeah. tribes and, and nutrition tribes and uh, I think he asked me, you know, if I would be against someone doing the paleo diet. And I said, absolutely not. Like, I, I'm not. I often question, I run through these kind of thoughts patterns in my head as to their utility and their, um, their benefit over the longer term. But really, if someone finds a set of boundaries that they like and work for them, like, yeah. as a coach, you kind of want to work with that if you're seeing all, a lot of positive outcomes, okay? Positive to their health, positive to their goals, uh, and positive to uh, some of the psychological things that are happening there. So where we run into problems is where these, uh, these things become a, a, you know, an ideology or an, an, an identity associated with this particular tribe or nutrition um, method at the sake of health or at the sake of um, results, Okay, that's when, you know, a serious conversation has to be had as to the utility. Yeah, man, I completely agree. Like I'll shift um, between different tribes for the person. Um, Mm. If we're looking, if we're calling them tribes, like some people, they like, I do like putting someone into sort of a paleo plan. Sometimes I do like giving them a food list that they can only choose from sometimes, you know, whether we call it, you know, can hash, you know, inverted quotes, like commas, you know, clean diet. Um, and you know, like I like putting people on sometimes a bit of a keto plan as well. Um, you know, like I think one of the back in the day, I reckon the, the leanest and like most jacked I got was like on a cyclic ketogenic diet. I think it was like Mario, was it Mario Di Pasquale wrote that book? Um, oh, was this the ultimate diet? 2.0? Yeah. Was yeah. That, yeah. Man. Like, yeah. I it was. That. 
um, um, I got jacked as, and I was like, you know, smashing the carbs on the weekends and smashing yeah. some um, good fats during the week. But like, for me, like, I think diets are very transient based on the person's need. And I think at the start of a diet plan, the reason why I really like it for the first four weeks to give someone control um, and eliminate certain foods because the reason why someone is overweight is because they don't have control. Like I'm a massive proponent on flexible dieting. I love the whole 80% whole foods and then 20% eat some processed stuff and you know have the pleasures inside your diet so you don't feel like you're restricting. But really for the first four weeks, I like to remove that and go into a controlled diet because you want to reduce decision fatigue. You want to really give people, hone them in. It's like just eat these foods to hit your calories because if there's less choice, it's very, it's much easier for someone to stick to the nutrition plan. And if to give them less choice, you have to throw them into a tribe for a, a good three to four weeks. Um, you know, then that's completely fine because you're allowing them to go, okay, cool. I, you know, for example, keto, if I'm going into keto, it means I'm not eating ice cream and chocolate, right? Well, that's probably a good thing for the first four weeks on someone's diet or low carb or paleo, right? As long as you just don't start making like chocolate paleo muffins every single meal. Um, mm. But then it comes back to, again, the calorie deficit. So whilst you're in this method, you still have to rely on the principle of the calorie deficit. And I think you know, I don't want to go into the vegan and vegetarian too much today at all um, because I think it's just a bit too far. Um, but if we look at trying to stick to the other ones, as long as you're having the adequate protein, as long as you you know, feel like you can maintain the calorie deficit, whichever tribe you feel at the start like is best for you and your coach helps you support you with, then I think that's okay. Um, what are your thoughts? I have very little to add because you said that really well. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Everything I went to think of, you then went on, you rolled it out and, yeah, okay, um, cool. and said it. So I think what I might be able to add is just, again, I'm, I want to bring this back to um, what people see in their, like their, their social media environments a lot because I think mm -hmm. this is important, um, is that the, some of the biggest and most well-known flexible dieting proponents, uh, as far as coaches go, in the world still apply the exact foundational principles that you talked about in whereby if said individual or client doesn't have a um, set of skills to navigate themselves well on the flexible component yet to take that out and give yeah. some nice boundaries or meal plan or whatever it is at the start um, to engage the process, build momentum develop nutrition IQ, develop those behaviors around food yeah. so that we then have the skill to go deploy them. And I think it's because a lot of the time, these um, very well-known sort of influencers and experts spend a lot of their time debunking the nutrition tribes, which, you know, I've been there. I try to, to sort of do it to a certain degree as well. Um, and, you know, I flexible diet with my clients, but I, I don't go around saying it because people don't hear what I'm trying to say. Uh, in other words, studying milkshakes and all the rest of it. That's exactly right. Every time um, I open my mouth to talk about it, I realize what I said and what you heard were two different things. Two different things yeah. So I don't spend too much time on it. Okay. Um, but it's important to know that, you know, exactly what you've said, especially when you're trying to gain momentum, build up these behaviors is boundaries and certainty work very well across the nutrition plan. As we get, uh, we learn through homework about knowing these numbers and like, you know, like working in the calories and macronutrients until you've mastered them. And then as you develop, um, uh, through this journey, you can then go and you can eyeball better. 
you are more yeah. prepared. You don't go into food environments that expose a vulnerability you have to over-consuming some hyperpalatable foods. All yeah. these things happen across a, a journey. Yeah, if, if you don't have control, why would you give someone all the freedom in the world? I think, you know, I think Jocko, Will, Jocko Willing says discipline equals freedom, right? So when we say that, what I like to look at is, you know, Charles Poliquin back in the day, he said like, you have to earn your carbs by having a certain subscap. I like mm. to say that like, you have to earn your flexibility by showing me that you control your shit for 28 days. So it's like, if you can give me your food journal and your calories and your macros for 28 days, then we can go into a flexible dieting approach. Cause I know that you actually adhere to the protocols for the first 28 days that we've essentially aligned. You've increased your nutrition IQ and like your tracking IQ. Now you've earned the ability to go into it. But if you can't track for the first 28 days, why would I give you something more complex when you didn't master the easy i think like you have to go through people in phases if they couldn't do the easy phase why would you ever throw someone into the complexity that is trying to work out their own meal plan through flexible dieting because then it gets even more overwhelming and when we look at there's a whole book about overwhelm right and which is really why i like meal plans inside the person's calories at the start because there's a book called flow from knee high I'm not going to say his last name, uh, but like if, if you make it, if you make the challenge too hard for the current skill level, it pushes someone into um, anxiety, which then they go off plan. They just default back to the old version of them. But reason why I'm not going to just chuck someone on chicken and broccoli for 16 weeks, because what happens you then also the first couple of weeks, you'll be fine. But then they'll slip into the other side. The challenge is too easy for the skill level and they get bored. And when someone goes into boredom, the exact same thing happens. They're like, screw this. And they go back and default to the old version of themselves. So you have to give them the flexibility inside their foods. So that first 28 days, these people are in flow and then you have to go, okay, cool. Let's keep progressing to the next version of you as your nutrition IQ increases. Now that's the consistency and adherence sort of wrapping in there. Yeah, look, it's analogous to um, let's say you ordered a training program, okay? This is something that gets done. And let's say that training program came out with exercise A, it just said hip hinge movement. Exercise, <laughs> exercise B, you know, it said, uh, you know, knee extension movement. Um, that's great because we're applying, there's a, the principles yeah, that are yeah, given yeah. to you, okay, um, but there's no details there for you. So yeah. like you said before, there's a lot of decisions that have to get made by you to go, man, I'm just going to write out this whole program with the actual yeah. exercises. So I've never um, heard that yeah. anal- I really like that analogy. I've never heard that analogy before. Yeah. Well, you know, cause often when um, I'm thinking about like programs in their entirety, yeah. I will start off there. I'm going to be yeah. like, okay, this is a hippie hinge. This is a, this, that. Um, but then it's really important to fill in the rest with the details. Okay. So, uh, you know, I feel the same way when it comes to nutrition to start with, and I haven't always done this by the way, you know, I think all of us as coaches, um, we can openly admit that we've done many things over the years, uh, many that we've learned from. And I remember at least for a good, I reckon probably two years, actually, I refused to really help people with meal plans, but I would basically give them their macro targets and, and, um, We'll talk about adjusting them in a second, but yeah. when they'll be changing them, I'd be basically telling them to change them in, in numbers rather than giving them um, food selections or meal plans. And the reason was I was really hardcore at the time going, this is homework and you've got to learn. You know what I mean? You've got to go digging through calorie king or nutritiondata.self.com or whatever was around at the time. 
And there were clients that just never got it. Yeah. Right? And it, admittedly, because I was just, I was um, uncompromising and I was immovable in my method that I was, I had with coaching nutrition at the time. And um, I, th I think I, you know, I, I realized after that, I was like, it's just not how I want to coach. Yeah. I think, yeah, like, man, like I've gone through so many different phases, I think um, over the years and I have been still got results, but I'm like, I could have given someone's life. And then sometimes I didn't, but I could have given someone a better um, relationship with food whilst coaching them. If I had have known what I know now, and I think that's why everyone's trying to go towards mastering their craft. And I think mm. if you think you know it all, then, um, you know, you are wrong. So I think with this, the biggest thing is again, like buying from the client. So, you know, one other reason as a coach, putting someone on a lower carb, um, at the start, they will get some water weight loss, but for them, it's just weight loss. People don't really care. It's really at the start. They just want to see weight going in the right direction. So if we can go into more of a lower carb approach at the start for gen pop, okay, so for someone who's, you know, maybe not have a higher training age, they're gen pop, they want to just start moving towards the right direction. What happens is we look at this whole motivation equation. So motivation for these people isn't huge at the start anyway. Like it's, mm. your motivation is huge before they start training and dieting. And then they start training and dieting and the motivation goes away really fast because it's like, oh my gosh, this is really hard. So if you can push someone onto more of a lower carb diet at the start and they lose like three or four kilos in the first week or two, well, and this is why, you know, Polo couldn't go back to him. He had this low carb boot camp, which got dramatic like weight loss in like, I think it was like seven days or 10 days. Now with that, people like when we look at the motivation equation, they look at this expectancy. Um, is it motivation equation? Because expectancy times value. So do I expect to achieve the result and do I value the result over um, delay times impulsivity or delay times distraction? So, you know, you're taking away distraction from all these other food choices. You're taking away delay because they're going to get instant results. So all of a sudden their motivation starts to skyrocket because they're like expecting to achieve more and more because the numerator gets bigger and bigger. And they're like, you are a God. I haven't lost this much weight before and now i can listen to anything you say and i think as a coach mm. buying is so crucial because especially with social media you know within three weeks they could be looking at the next thing if they don't start to get results pretty fast yeah and i think you know what you what we're talking about is the art within the science okay mm. in, in that being able to understand that approach might work really well with um you know a given client and so let's take the opposite sort of um, methodology to that, right? Which maybe means, okay, you make a client do a meal, um, a food diary for seven days. Now they don't know this, but on the back end, you spend hours plugging that thing into whatever and looking at all the micronutrients, checking out the fiber, looking at the macronutrients and going, okay, I can really tweak this and make it work, but still basically have it come back to them looking pretty much like what you gave them. They have no perceived value of what you did because it looks like you just printed out a nice version of what they gave you. Yeah. So it doesn't have any shiny object kind of stuff going on. Okay. Uh, and it's basically just what they gave you, but in a nice setup and slightly less calories because let's say they were over consuming that. So you've just reorganized it. So perhaps that doesn't contain uh, the, you know, the set of um, uh, uh, momentum and thing that you're trying to achieve because it's just like, it's not new. It's, you know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. So it's just a little bit too, it feels a little bit too similar to what I've been doing this whole time without getting results. Yeah. So even though it could be equally effective. Yeah. Okay. So it's all about, you know, the art within the science there. 
Have you seen that? Have you ever seen that movie? He's, um, he's just not that into you. I feel like I have. <laughs> so there's always the um, rule. So like for me, when I look at most clients, I'll put them on a bit of a low carb boot camp ish kind of thing for the first little bit to give them a kickstart. Motivation goes up and we start to add more carbs and more carbs and keep going based on fats and carbs like we talked about earlier. But then there's the exception to the rule. So someone who comes in previously who is training like five days a week, six days a week, they're already on like this 1200 calorie sort of nutrition plan. Well, I don't put them on a low carb boot camp, right? And this is where the mm. exception comes in. Like I've had clients in the past where I'm like, okay, you're on 1200 calories. You're going to start like eating 1800 straight away. Um, and they're like, lose them. I'm like, no, I'm not losing weight eating 1200. I can't eat more calories right now. Like, are you crazy? I don't want to put on weight. And all of a sudden, they just start losing body fat week after week. And I just keep bumping their calories because like they just, their body was like in such of a stressed situation. So then again, we move to the more the hormone side of things. Um, yeah. Their body was this, in such stress state um, that it wasn't functioning properly. Right. Um, yeah. And they have been in it for so long. So again, when we're saying this guys, um, context, as you would always say, context matters, as Benny says all the time. And yeah, some, like there's the rule, but there's always the exceptions to the rule. You know, intermittent fasting comes into the, you know, there's exceptions to the rule. Um, you know, some people do great on four meals, some people do great on three meals, some people do great on five or six meals. So it's finding out what is great for you to stay inside the confines of your um, calorie deficit or understanding the fact that if someone has just dieted for 12 weeks, um, versus someone who hasn't dieted for the last 12 weeks, your formula will essentially for your like, um, you know, total daily energy expenditure will be totally different. So I need to understand what you've been doing for the last 12 weeks before I give you a nutrition plan, uh, before I give you some calories. Because if you've been dieting hard for the last 12 weeks, I probably need to give you a bit of a diet break, which is probably segue in a second, um, before we can start to go again, because I need to like reset you before we go again for another phase of dieting, reset you psychologically and somewhat hormonally um, before we can go forward. Um, is that, do you believe that obviously the exceptions to the rule? Absolutely, man. And I, you, you, you sort of hinted at um, a few things we haven't talked about there, which was um, uh, meal timing, which we could probably cover before we get into that next thing anyway. Yeah. Um, Cause that's something which always comes up. Um, and again, it's, it's the reason we've sort of, covered things in this sequence is we're really sort of, it's a sequence of importance. And yeah. as you can see, this is pretty far down the list. So with meal timings, like me personally, for my personal gains, um, like I am the worst at meal timing only because I do not want to gain any more lean muscle mass. I'm like the dude who like stuff doesn't fit me already. I am never going to jump on stage in my life. I do not want more muscle mass that I want currently. I have a gate that I have to put my arm through to try and like press the button to open it. I can barely fit my arm through the gate right now. Um, like I can get leaner as a person a hundred percent, but I don't want more lean muscle mass just for me and my time in my life right now. Benny, we, we, need, we need a video that follows you around for the day, showing us the struggles of what it's like to be too big to fit through gates. And things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not as big as you. I'm not as big as you. Um, I, you. 
But it sounds like you've got a lot of problems with the, the kind of spaces you have to get into. <laughs> oh, man. Last night we were doing, like, last night, like, I was trying to look at, because we just moved to, like, five acres. And, I like, the front waters, the back waters, like, different. So I was, like, inside this, like, hole trying to get a water pump. And I was like, man, like, I, like and then we were, like, moving furniture. I was, like, crawling under furniture. I was like, man, like, I feel like I need to be, I'm a short dude. I feel like I need to be shorter and smaller. I need to be more compact at this time in my life. Um, yeah. But for me, like, I ate two meals a day. Like that's it. I, like I, I like I haven't eaten yet. It's one thirty-six. Like I'll eat probably after this at like two two o'clock, and then I'll eat at like seven o'clock at night. Like that's me. Yeah. But for me, I just sort of hit my maintenance calories at the moment. I do that in two meals a day. I like a larger meal at nighttime because um, it makes me sleep nice and I feel like I'm full. I have like a good five, 600 calories during the day. It sort of pushes me through and I actually just changed my daily meal. And I eat the same thing every day for lunch. I shifted mm-hmm. my daily meal and I've uh, decreased the lull in the afternoon now because of it without mm-hmm. extra caffeine intake, which has been fantastic. Um, so for me, like I am like the outlier but when we look at the general population for someone, cause everyone wants to gain a little bit of lean muscle mass, right? Like females and males always should try and gain a little bit of lean muscle mass or as much as they possibly can, or at least try and maintain their lean muscle mass whilst in a calorie deficit. Because like we talked about, we want to try and protect our metabolic rate. So with this, do you look at when you're setting up your people's or your clients um, meal frequency based on making sure they get like that leucine threshold every like four hours, three to four hours? Is that what something you look at? It is, but it, we could, um, uh, let me just start at the beginning of that, if that's okay. So um, one of the main things here is to ask the client questions. Okay. So if you guys are uh, listening to this and you don't have a coach, again, I want to make this useful for people that don't have a coach, um, is um, when do you train? Is it in the morning, mm-hmm. afternoon? Is it in the evening? Okay, this, this counts. When do you work? Do you work nine to five? Do you work shift work? What is it? Um, what are your opportunities like to eat throughout the day? Um, I always like to ask how a client will um, prepare their food. Is it something that like you're going to cook it all yourself? You're going to do a big cook up on a Sunday and another a mid cook up on a Wednesday? These, these questions are really important for me because again, it sort of gives you that snapshot about what sort of setup across the week is going to work well for that individual without being too complicated? Because that's another reason why people will fall off the bandwagon is we get caught out, time poor, ill-prepared, and it's all too complicated, too much um, time compared to what my week looks like. Okay. So, so all those questions count Uh, when it comes to distributing your meals throughout the day. I think one of the things you want to look at is, uh, what you're talking about is having adequate protein to hit um, something in which we repair our muscles. Okay. It's called muscle protein synthesis. And basically that's one of the reasons why we want to ensure a minimum adequate protein daily uh, whilst we're training hard. Um, You can do this by sort of getting between 20 to 40 grams of protein in a serving and distributing that across anywhere from four to six meals is probably optimal if you're trying to build muscle or recover well. The less your goal is towards building muscle, like Trav off one end, <laughs> the less important this is. Um, but I think across the board, that really fits the bill with uh, the general population. Okay, And so within that, some people are going to tell you just intuitively they will know the answer yeah, I would really prefer to eat only four meals, please, because that sounds doable. Other people will be like, oh my God, I need to have six meals. Like I am just someone who loves to eat every three hours. Um, and 
either of those situations are perfectly fine. Within that is uh, it's probably a good idea to have some protein and carbohydrate around your training, whether that be before or after it's um, it's okay to do either or both. Uh, however, if you are a morning trainer and training fasted, so you've woken up, you go to training, um, it's fairly important for you to consume protein and probably some carbohydrates fairly soon after the training session, because you're really run, running on fumes by then. Okay. Uh, you may have the opportunity to have a little bit beforehand or like a supplement, like a protein shake, or perhaps you sip on something through training. Um, because really we want to start the recovery process as quickly as possible. So whilst you are doing your training, you are breaking muscle tissue down. It is a very, very important time for you to think about recovery. And that recovery does come in part through your nutrition. Okay. If this same person did switch to having a meal with protein and carbohydrates before training, then that means that it takes the emphasis off the requirement to have a meal soon after training. You've got another couple of hours now because you've just drip fed those nutrients in prior. So I hope that gives some clarity to what's okay. Sorry, question marks. Okay. Um, when it comes to meal timing around training and the optimal situation, which I like to have for most of my clients, if it's possible is to really have uh, to have training in the middle of two meals where those meals are somewhere between four to five hours apart. That's the and, optimal situation for me. Yeah. And I think just the biggest thing is like, obviously we still, and there is always the myth of you eat more, your metabolism increases more. I think it's just very mm-hmm. crucial for understand people understand that that is not true uh, for all the general population people out there. It's all about the, uh, essentially the volume of food. So that comes down to the thermic effect of food. We talked about at the very start of the podcast. So, you know, the thing effect of food is about if you're eating protein, fats, and carbs, you know, in general, it's about 10% of the meal is a thermic effect of food. Does it sit around that? I know obviously different macros is different. I think that's probably on the optimistic makeup. side. Yeah, on the optimistic I, side. <laughs> um, yeah. High yeah. protein diet. Someone on a high protein diet. Um, yeah. Looking at this, like you're burning calories by digesting your food. Um, and that's when essentially that study looked at, like they looked at the peak of the metabolism as people ate six meals a day or therefore metabolism increased. But if you spread those meals into three meals a day or four meals a day, that same volume of food, then your metabolism still increases the same amount as six meals a day. So it's not the amount of times you're feeding. It's you know essentially the amount that you're feeding that increases your metabolism. Yeah. And again, we're getting um, into the nuances here and I really don't think we need to expand on this any more than what we've said already, because I think if anything, um, people do that too much and it becomes another methodology. Okay. About how we're really just trying to achieve the overall uh, diet or the the caloric deficit. Um, What I would revert us back to is just the real questions that I find count are the ones that come down to preparation. Okay. And, um, and the compliancy aspect. Okay. So I think that, you know, you should have a plan across the week of like when your meals are going to be, what your meals are going to be, all those kind of things. Um, if you don't do that and you try to just, um, count as you go. And I understand this does work for some people, right? They literally walk through the day and go and go down to the cafe and buy like a you know a bagel and a latte and then go and have like a, a chicken and salad at lunch and keep plugging things in. And yeah. I'm like, that to me is like really stressful. Right? Yeah, it's like I was um, anxiety when you're saying, yeah, like, yeah. Cause like I've had questions from like 
you know, people that have done this in the past going, Hey, I have like 87 grams of fat left. Um, what can I do? And you know, it's the end of the night and I'm like, yeah, there's no answer to that. Yeah. Um, get some coconut oil. Have some fun. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the, it's about identifying as you go through this process, what were the things that you found challenging? You know what I mean? What were the reasons that you didn't eat the meal at mid morning? Like you had planned to do. Is it a really poor time to have a meal? Is it that the meal needed to be heated up in a microwave or something like that? And you're now working at a location where there's no microwave. These are the more important questions to me because then when these kind of things come up, when I'm coaching a client, basically it's like, Hey, let me reorganize this. How does this sound for that time? Oh, that would be fantastic. Like that you've got an option that doesn't require heating. You know, those are the kind of solutions um, to those problems. I think the thing is, it's like, you need to have some form of, when you're looking at your meal plan that you're setting up over the week. So now we have an understanding of uh, fats, uh, calories of fats, proteins and carbs. But then we are looking at what the meals mean inside each of those. So it's good to plan ahead advance, obviously what you're saying then. So again, it reduces decision fatigue. You don't have to rely on willpower. Like you're talking to your partner, like what should we eat tonight? No, what do you think we should eat tonight? And then you just start ordering pizza. So we have less decision fatigue and reliance on willpower because it's already set up. Hopefully you can, meal prep if you can like on a Sunday a couple of days or at least a dinner or two so yeah. um, you're okay also like I said is like understanding like go-to um, sources of protein if you're in a pinch or a go-to dinner um, or a go-to Uber Eats option if something just is out of whack I think that's a good thing to understand absolutely and these these may all sound like um, we've just talked about things that are way down the notch from optimal but that's okay because it's about the long-term compliance here. I remember one of my clients who um, you know, worked in sales and he was just ordering, I think it was Uber Eatsing Maccas. I think that's what was happening, like a lot. And I was like, man, do you know there's like, you know, Nando's, like chicken tenderloins with some paella rice yeah. um, on Uber Eats or whatever it was. And he was like, what? And then from that moment on, like there was not like never McDonald's. And then all of a sudden he's getting... Um, you know, a source of food, which inherently was more nutritious, but it also fit the bill in terms of the, the macros, the protein, the carbs that he was after. Um, and he felt better, enjoyed it. And it was just an easy solution to get us through that period of time. Every successful um, uh, person, you know, along this health journey that I've sort of talked to has a set of fallbacks in this regard. Okay. So it's like, you know, for me, I might have, um, you know, like, like muesli bars for carbohydrates, like boxes of them in the bottom of my pantry. Um, you know, I, I always have, um, you know, protein shakes. If I do get caught out without my um, sources of protein from whole foods, those are the little things which are just uh, really easy for me. And to head back to what you were saying about the, you know, the couple with the decision fatigue at the end of the night with the um, eating, this is a big one for me. And I think this is a hot tip kind of thing that I'm going to throw in because oftentimes when we talk, we're going to head into flexibility next, right? Cause it's yep. going to make a cool segment. Yep. Okay, cool. Uh, oftentimes a individual will say, Hey, I'm going to do make up all of my breakfast, my mid morning snack, my lunch and my mid afternoon snack. And then I'm going to be flexible with my um, calories and macronutrients at dinner. Right? So that's going to be my flexible meal. This sounds amazing in theory. And when it works, it's amazing. It's fantastic. Unfortunately, I have a lot of experience with this, with it not working so well. And that is because by the end of the day, when the day has gone awful and you know, you come home and you're very tired, uh, that 
lack of anything being prepared and any decision being previously made or commitment to having something particular at that meal goes out the window and uh, a very poor decision gets made. I think the two things you mentioned here, man, is like um, implementation intention. So there's been so many studies on this. So it's like, I'm going to eat eggs on Monday morning at my house at 7am. So like, that is like an implementation intention, right? I'm going to eat chicken and rice and broccoli at 12 noon at my off. Like if you write this out, right? It's, it's, you put it out there to the world and it's more likely to happen. Same as the implementation intentions as far as like when you're going to train and where you're going to train um, and who you're going to train with, for example. So if we can have these implementation and implementation intentions previously pushed out across the week and people might think that's crazy, but it generally works, right? This is just literally a meal plan. Um, for me, I know that it's really easy, right? Like Monday nights, I literally like, again, my, my days are very exactly the same every single day, but night times, you know, I have, you know, a steak night with potatoes and broccoli i have a slow cooker night because i love slow cook we actually have two slow cooker nights in our house um one's like slow cooker burritos and one's like just slow cooker sort of like a, an open taco um and there's another night of the week where we do like burgers at home as well um so it's like you know, I, I fit these into my macros, making sure I have getting variety, but I have nights of the week for the foods that I enjoy. And it's very easy to, for me to stay compliant with my meal plan as well. So yeah. I have this like implementation intentions and then I have also these if then when. So if shit hits the fan, so if then shit hits the fan or when shit hits the fan, then I do this because normally when she hits the fan with people then you know essentially you know they've had a stressful day or they stuffed up their lunch, then all of a sudden normally old identity, old version of you goes off the rails and starts like, you know, just like, you know, you puncture one tire, you puncture the rest of them, right? Which Mm -hmm. is, you might sound stupid when you say it like that, but that's what people do. And it takes them like three or four days to get back onto their meal plan. And those three or four, instead of just one meal, which probably wouldn't really even, it's such a minor thing, like one meal out of 28 to 36 meals in a week, like that's nothing. But it turns into, instead of one meal, it turns into like 17 of the 36 meals or the 28 meals. So if you can understand, like, if I don't, if my dinner is ruined, the slow cooker didn't work, it was too hot at home, the air can, whatever happened, then I go onto Uber Eats and I order a chicken salad from Nando's. Like that, that is what I do. Like there is no option. Okay. I don't ask, you know, live what we do. It's like, if the dinner is ruined, then we order this. Okay. And all of a sudden you don't even have to move back into that decision fatigue and rely on willpower again, because the decision has already been pre-made ahead of time. So it is done and you can just keep moving forward. Or you go, if, if, when I screw up my diet, then my next meal is just back on point. And if I can't get it back on point, then I go into the other, if, then, when I eat a chicken salad from Nando's and all of a sudden, like your dieting becomes easy because yeah. you don't have to have thought pattern behind it. Um, I just wanted to add those two things in because they come down to the psychology of like sticking to your meal plan. Um, yeah. And macros. Yeah. And um, you know, I completely agree with what you say because I know that I find myself, especially in the last couple of years, um, doing this, asking the same questions of clients for their refeed meals. Sorry, and this is kind of getting into um, yeah, flexible yeah. calories and, and that kind of thing. But, but now, yeah. we are moving to that anyway. But so, so you know, the implementation intention that you're talking about for the planned meal plan dinners is amazing. Like, this is great. It's like, okay, cool, steak on uh, you know, Monday, you know, whatever it is, the paler on the Tuesday. Um, 
but you know, I have uh, a certain amount of flexibility that most of my clients enjoy. One of the methods within this framework that I use is like a once a week style setup where they get to consume um, more calories than their base day. I like this once a week one. I do have more than that. Some of them do it five times a week with a smaller amount, but for the most part from a compliance aspect and an enjoyment aspect of working with clients, this particular method often works well. So let's say as an example that one of my boys has um, 2000 calorie refeed in addition to his 3,500 calorie meal plan on a Saturday. When I check in with him and do his phone call on a Monday, one of the questions I'll ask within my notes, like, Hey, what's the plan for the weekend? What are you going to go eat? Mm. Okay. Because what I'm doing is it's again, I'm like, he has to think about it for a second, engage in dialogue and go, okay, cool. What is the plan? Because what's more important for me, because this is something that I've you know, teased out through doing this process with so many people um, is that when they commit to whatever it is they're going to eat, then that actually, it eventuates yeah. rather than last minute. Oh, Awesome. It's right, Saturday. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Like all of a sudden all the boys around, Hey, it's okay guys. I've got these extra cows and they decide to order something way off the plan. Yeah. You know, you had no intention of like, that's not your normal thing. You're a bit out of your, um, uh, your, you know, your usual environment and things go out the window. Uh, this is so crucial for understanding. It's like, I love calorie cycling like this, whether it be refeeds or just calorie cycling higher Fridays and Saturdays. Like I do this for myself. Um, but in understanding that if I don't have a plan of what I'm going to eat on the Fridays and Saturdays, it's very easy for me psychologically to overeat. And when I look at clients who have like a different identity, they identify with the other version or the older version of themselves who didn't have an, live within a structure. It's very easy for them to then fall off the wagon completely the yeah. whole weekend. And it's like, okay, if I'm having higher calories on a Friday and Saturday, you still have to plan out what is my Friday with higher calories look like? What does my Saturday with higher calories look like? Oh, are you going to enjoy that? Are you looking forward to that? Get people hyped up for it because then they're more likely mm. to stick to it. And it's like, exactly. awesome, let's do this. And then they eat it. And then all of a sudden, if they feel shitty um, eating like, the ice cream, if it's inside their plan on the higher calorie day, they'll make a better choice for the higher calorie day the next week. Like for me, like when I eat ice cream, like I'm puffy, I feel like crap. So I know what I like when I have my higher calories, I know what I enjoy, but I also know what I, that makes me feel good um, after the high yeah. calorie day as well. Yeah. And like everything you've said is like something that I track with clients for that exact reason, you know, is like if they're tracking their weight every day, it's interesting to see what happens after they have, certain foods within this allowance of this flexible, um, you know, day or night's worth of eating. Do you know what I mean? And, and what comes from that is better decision-making uh, in, uh, you know, future weeks. Yeah. I think it's just the crucial thing is guys, if you're going to go into calorie cycling, essentially what we're looking at here is say for five days of the week, you decrease your calories by 200 calories, giving yourself an extra thousand calories on two days of the week. You can split that across two different days, or you could have one day and you could have an extra thousand calories and it allows you to have better in social environments. Um, now, do you focus on it being more of a carb dominant thousand calories or do you just put a thousand calories on top? Yeah, I would say that I usually do, but it's, yep. it, it really depends on the person here. Yeah. And I think for the, the, the people listening to this podcast, um, the answer is probably yes. Okay. Yep. Because they're probably not going to have the huge amount of carbohydrates that some advanced yeah. athletes are already on. Um, yeah. And so thus 
the benefit from just acquiring a, a day's worth of a larger carbohydrate intake is actually greater for um, the people listening to this. Yeah. But, it, but in saying that, it really brings me back to, so again, I just want to use some, hopefully some uh, things that people can relate to here. When I have a, a inquiry or a, a initial consultation with a male client who's married, okay, or who has kids, he's a father, one of the common things that comes up is, um, uh, um, yeah, I really want a nutrition plan, but I also want to just have to be able to take the wife out on like a date night. Like, is there any way that we can do that? It's really important to me because there's some history to me dieting and going to the gym. You know what I mean? Every relationship has a bit of history uh, in terms of... Sorry, I, uh, my, my phone's uh, tell me battery. Uh, every relationship has a history with... Uh, someone on their health journey. Do you know what I mean? And so maybe you were a bastard and cranky last time you dieted. Okay. Maybe, uh, you know, you went to training and st- on um, your anniversary night instead of like going out for dinner or whatever it was. Right. And so it's really important for me when it comes to the flexibility within the nutrition plan, that these are the first questions I ask. It's like, yeah. Hey, like, what do you normally do with the wife? Okay, cool. Because like, I want to make sure that she's on board with this process. And she's like, like, wow, I can't believe that you're getting the results. Uh, your coach has like, you know, got you doing this. And it's just, it feels so much more balanced to this time. Yeah. That's the kind of feedback that I want to hear, right? Because you and I both know from experience that that lends itself to long-term compliancy and everyone's happier all around. You can't out transform a shitty relationship. Yeah, stuff at home because they don't aren't supporting you because you aren't giving them what they need um, and everything's about you then it's, it's not going to be supportive which you need if you are in a relationship it needs to be a supportive environment for you to stick to your plan we didn't really cover this before when we talked about actually setting up the meal plan but this is like a another component to it because perhaps uh, again if we were talking to this father let's say perhaps he has to eat uh, what the wife cooks for dinner and mm. the wife kind of has a, a nice weekly kind of schedule of meals that she, yeah. she puts out for the family unit. Uh, and that's something that a good coach can really work with. Okay. Instead of trying to work against creating friction and like, you know, he needs this yeah. meal and the family's cooking up this meal. Um, these are all really important, but it's getting back to this refeed and this, these extra calories. I think, um, again, a lot of people overthink the utility of it. Like, Oh, should I have it on my, um, biggest training my leg day, like day, my legs day, yeah. right? Or should I have it on my weakest body part day? And yeah. yeah, there is actually some rationale behind doing either or both of those things. The more in question, important question for most people is, like how, how from a psychological perspective is this going to help you? Yeah. Yeah. I, I honestly, man, I completely agree with you. Um, also the alcohol on the, on the sort of the high calorie day, like I know Friday nights is for me. So I normally have about three glasses of wine on a Friday night. Um, it's easier for me to fit them in. I'll just sort of take them off my carbohydrates on a Friday. Um, mm-hmm. And that sort of put my carbs, hit my alcohol in instead of my carbs or all my carbs. Um, and that means I'm not, um, again, I've already pre-planned three glasses of wine 
So I have three glasses of wine because it's yeah. like in my structure. So I don't start binge drinking and then start making more poor food choices again after that. So I add that into my calorie cycling, which is what I, I really look at doing. Now, yeah. I guess it's then coming into the, the, we've gone through calorie cycling, we've gone through some refeeds. Um, you know, we've gone through, there's no such thing really as good and bad foods. Like, um, you know, cause there, there isn't, it's just the foods that fit inside your nutrition plan at the time of the methodology that you're using um what do we want to go through next mate do you want to go through like high satiating foods like what should people be starting to eat inside their meal plan moving forward like you know there's um calorie dense versus nutrient dense foods yeah like I, we did touch on this in uh, one or two previous yeah. the previous podcast sorry um but just to put it um uh, succinctly uh you know this is one of the uh reasons we have a high, we do a high protein diet. Okay. So it's more satiating. It's one of the reasons why we want to make sure there's adequate fiber in the diet. Mm. It is, um, uh, also we could be looking at, uh, perhaps why filling up, uh, some of the, the goals with, um, high voluminous foods, but that are lower in calorie may help as well. So we're talking about things like low calorie vegetables. Okay. Yeah. I've talked about in the past and I think you have as well about, you know, from a starch perspective, you know, potatoes being very, very satiating yeah. when, when they're boiled and by themselves, as soon as you start adding the butter, we all know the joke. Um, but uh, these are the kind of options that, you know, perhaps, you, you know, having potato over cocoa pops, is yeah. probably a good idea if you're struggling from the hunger aspect. Okay. Yeah. So again, you, you know, you have to have a little bit of accountability yourself within this food selection uh, to ensure that you have enough uh, high satiating food uh, so that you're not hungry unbearably yeah. and then le leave yourself or afford yourself enough flexibility. So you have the amount of freedom or whatever it is that you want um, within a time frame. Yeah. So for, for me, like always, as people go down further on the calories towards lower calories, like start adding more pumpkin in, uh, yep. because obviously pumpkin, the volume amount you can eat of pumpkin versus the carbohydrates is crazy. I start adding like watermelon in as well, um, yep. because you know, you can, nearly, you can have a whole lot of watermelon, like those two things in itself, people are like, Oh man, like I'm really full. I'm like, we're awesome. That's what I want to hear because that means you. Instead of saying oh, I'm always hungry and complaining about that, you can complain about something that's better. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's what we say is like you know having those foods that give you volume. So that means you aren't feeling like you're hungry all the time on a diet because then psychologically you will look at falling off the diet, which is the same reason why we have the essentially the higher calorie days for some people like the caloric cycling. So if they are hungry some days, they look forward to the higher calorie days so they can push through the five days. The next thing I wanted to talk about, man, is um, diet breaks. Are we up to that, you think? Yeah. Yep. Okay, cool. So we're actually like, before we get to diet, like, why do we want a diet break? You know, you're dieting over a 16 week period of time. All of a sudden your body weight's coming down. Um, what could happen is before we get to a diet break, like how do we push through a plateau? Like people are going to plateau. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So like what you're talking about there is, um, uh, I would call it an, an adjustment. Okay. So yes. when you've been tracking and measuring, um, you've been on point. And so some of the the caveats that have to be in place before you could make this decision is mm. have you been accurate enough? Yeah. Okay. Because you know, what often happens from a coach's perspective is client says, Oh, I'm not getting results, but the food was a seven out of 10 this week or you know what I mean? And it's like, that's, that's 
that's not, not a result. That's not you kind of living up to your end of the bargain. So you haven't really deserved the result. It's really whereby, um, you know, when we've taken into account the training sessions have been had, the, the NEAT or the steps or whatever metric we're using to kind of measure the other side of your output is nice and stable. And we know what that is. You've committed and, and achieved that. And um, you've hit your meal plans to a very um, uh, de good degree of accuracy as well. So from there, really what would normally happen is um, you've really got a couple of options. One is to increase your NEAT more. Okay. So do more walking or something like that. Do another activity. Uh, or two is to reduce the food intake. Both of these are valid uh, in their own right. And each of them has many, many, many contexts. Okay. So that the person with a very physical active job that's already walking 25,000 steps a day, um, actually probably doesn't have trouble losing weight anyway, but let's say they did. <laughs> let's say they did. Prescribing more steps is not the right method for that person. Okay. It would be, I'm just making a point. I'm sorry. That's a terrible example. Um, whereas the person on 1200 calories, uh, giving them, um, uh, taking more food away from them isn't exactly pleasant either because they were already on very low food intake. Mm. And somewhere in the middle is everyone else that we're talking to, okay? So, um, you know, might be committing to an extra 2,000 steps per day. If we were on 8,000 steps, maybe going to 10,000 steps. Again, we're going to have to expend more energy. Uh, we can achieve greater fat loss through that. Uh, if it was a dietary intervention, you know, let's go back. I think I mentioned about an 1800 calorie thing before, um, you know, at that amount of calories doing something along the five to 10% mark in terms of a reduction is generally accepted as a, a plausible and mild adjustment uh, to further the process along. Generally speaking, you would not take it from protein, more likely take it from carbohydrates or fat within that decision is usually two things. One personal preference, don't take away from your preference if possible. Two, how much of each do you have? Don't take away from the lowest one if it's already too low. Yeah. Okay. That's how we sort of go through that decision-making process. I, I think the biggest thing, man, is, is like, obviously, as you say, like context matters. Like before you go and go into an adjustment with someone, um, look at their weekly calories. Have they tracked over the last like two weeks? Because obviously you're not going to adjust every week. If someone hasn't lost weight this week in the last seven days, just keep doing what you're doing because it might just be like a bit of a, like a holding pattern for a week and next week you'll kick on. Say it hasn't happened for two weeks, uh, you know, you have to ask them. Like that's why you have to talk to them about their sleep. If they're sleeping four or five hours, a night at the moment it's like no stay where you're at right now let's just yeah. increase your sleep quality or you're highly stressed for the last two weeks okay let's look at some meditation techniques go for some breath walks like actually let's yeah. calm down your um calm your essentially energy system slightly move from a sympathetic to a parasympathetic state like just calm your mind because that can increase them into fat loss again it's like like those two factors play so big and that's obviously why we talked about the sleep podcast last week then there's the neat factor in play as well making sure um we're, we're increasing steps over time and then making sure they're compliant so if they're supposed to hit fourteen thousand calories in a week if they hit seventeen thousand, it's like no aim for like fourteen thousand max like fourteen and a half thousand and like that's what you want to look at for the week and like if you're you're eating like four like you're aiming for fourteen thousand like don't go under like 
13 and a half thousand, like try and be within that sort of 500 calorie mark. That, that's what I look at for my clients, like 500 calories of your weekly calories, if you can, um, as close to that, because like everyone just keeps wanting to cut calories, but instead there's other factors in play that you can do before you can take away more food. So then all of a sudden they're getting more hungry, more irritable, less likely to stick to the plan and they're an asshole to everyone that's around them. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, um, you know, I'll give you an example. My, my, my younger sister's uh, she, she used to compete in fitness competitions and um, she told me that uh, when her coach would, would measure her, um, she would drop every three weeks. So, so not week one, not week two, week three, there'd be a big drop. Week four, week five, look like nothing. Week six, a big drop. Okay. And this is someone who gets on stage. Okay. So quite lean and that kind of thing. Um, so it just goes to show that even at that level, like a certain modicum of patience, as much as people don't want to hear it, it's just really important, you know, being accurate, being a little bit patient uh, before you go having knee-jerk reactions to a what seems to be a short-term plateau. Yeah. So with this, obviously you've dieted for four weeks, you, you've, you end up plateauing or you diet for six weeks, you lost some weight, you plateau for two weeks, then we want to decrease your calories by five to 10%. The reason being is because your, your metabolic rate has slowed down slightly because of those hormonal adaptations, plus you're a smaller human. As you become a smaller human, you less, need less energy requirements to stay alive. So you need, literally need to consume less. And I think people forget that as well. If you went from 90 kilos to 70 kilos, well, a 70 kilo person literally just needs less calories to live. Um, so then you've, you've come down, you decrease your calories, you put yourself into a plateau. Now <coughs> you again go through another five, four or five weeks and you hit a plateau again. Now for me, like I like diet breaks at about the week eight to 11 uh, for a lot of gen pop because psychologically I'm going to stick to this plan. I'm going to do it for eight weeks and then I'm going to have a break. So they know there's like a bit of an end point where they can start eating a little bit more um, calories for a week. And we look at a diet break for like one to two weeks um, or even just one week in there. Um, so what is a diet break? Yeah. Well, I don't even, do we actually have an official term for that? I'm not too sure if there's a strict definition for it, but I know what we all like mean. Going back to maintenance calories, yeah. seven that, days to 21 yeah. days. Yeah. That is what we mean. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, when we talk about that, we talk about going back to maintenance and I think some people refer slightly above maintenance, yeah. you know, maybe 5% above. So I'm not too sure if there actually is a strict definition, but um, yeah, look in terms of uh, frequency, I kind of like what you said as well for myself. Um, around about that eight week mark is usually a nice sweet spot for me to uh, take someone out of the diet, put them back at maintenance for a week and then go from there. As much as um, uh, a lot of people want to look into it for the physiological reasons and you know um, that something magically is happening with hormones and things like that to a small degree, I, I really do think that there is, uh, there are some and um, you know, I'm sure as we do more studies in the area, we will, see what that is uh but for the most part i feel like realistically there's just a sense of like stress management better recovery um the, everything in the body does work in waves okay you know what i mean it's these like rhythms of things this day night rhythm this weekly this monthly rhythm uh and so uh, i feel that yeah what we the outcome that we see from a diet break is usually a happier client okay they uh they do well with their training and recovery and they seem to do quite well with the um, continued fat loss. When we look at the research um, in terms of fat loss as an outcome, uh, you can even make an argument for a earlier diet break than that. Okay. Yeah. But really, I think, and I know that probably I could probably take the words out of your mouth uh, is that 
from my experience, again, it's probably about building and capitalizing on momentum. And I find when I take someone out of something that's working really well, like at a fourth week mark, I, I find it's a little bit too quick. So the two month mark is about right. Yeah, the, the physiological benefits, like there obviously are like some, but I don't even worry about it on them. Like that's not even reason why I like diet breaks. I like the psychological benefits because someone look day week one, week eight, and then like week eight, you might've had an adjustment somewhere in the middle, but like they've been dieting and if they've been strict, all of a sudden you give them go back from like 1400 calories back to like 2000 calories for the week, or even if it's two week diet break, they're like, oh my gosh, I'm so full. I'm so, um, like, I feel like I feel fantastic. And all of a sudden it's like, great, let's get back into the next eight weeks. And they're ready and they're recharged. People yeah. need to be charged up for the next period. And I yeah. think after a diet break, they hit it with such momentum um, that like the results are even better than the first eight weeks. Exactly. I feel like I've taken, when, when you do that, you've kind of taken out insurance against clients falling off bandwagon mm. do you know what i mean or or so you know injuries, what i mean man. So, like injuries as well like i feel like you know people just keep dieting without having a bit of a diet break yeah. um i like for me personally like it could be anything right but i think again it comes down to psychological benefits I think. yeah and this is a whole nother podcast on um yeah. just chronic dieting do you know what i mean yeah. and coming out of your diet like let's not get into it now because um it literally is a whole other podcast yes um <laughs> Uh, but yeah, like, you know, one of the things we do both encounter is that individual that says anyway that they feel like they've dieted their whole life. Okay. Now, mm -hmm. often this genuinely isn't the case. What we see is this yo-yo style calorie intake where there's this super aggressive kind of diet strategies um, and, and then counterbalanced by intuitive eating, which um, when we look at the body composition history has to have been going out of the diet. Uh, but it's usually when we're talking to um, an individual who's going through this, um, that's not the story they've been telling them. So that's not their experience in, you know, their own head, the story that they have telling themselves. So it's whilst we have to appreciate that a lot of the times, unless you're strictly tracking everything, which most of these people aren't, um, we don't see a endless diet. But what we do see is this like chronic aggressive style natures of dieting, which um, comes with a host of um, problems. Completely agree. Yeah. So again, I guess the last couple of things, man, is like looking at the the micronutrient side of things is again not much in detail into this. I think it's just making sure that you're eating a lot of colourful foods. You're not eating just the same food all the time. Um, you are essentially like um, making sure that you know you're not just, yeah, it gets like sticking in chicken and broccoli, but you're getting all the colors inside the different vegetables. You're eating fruits, like fruit is okay. Um, it's actually pretty good for you. Um, like I, I think it's choosing different protein sources, not just the same protein source over and over again. I honestly think for micronutrients, like, that's what I look at um, on the, a very top level um, side of things. If someone's hitting like different veg, different fruit, different protein sources on a daily and weekly basis, I think that's much better than their old diet, what they were doing before. What, what would you say? I would say that you've taken my whole ideology, my methodology, you've waited until I have 5% left on my phone. And that, <laughs> that's what you've left with basically everything I I um, have been doing for the last 10 years. I've, I've known you for a long time, man. You, time. You, set, you set it up this way, you bastard. Uh, <laughs> no, look, it is, I can't disagree with what you've said. Um, all I would say is that I have a, a vested interest in, um, I love 
nutrient density. I love the nutritional biochemistry. I am forever teaching about it. Uh, and thus, if, if it would have uh, achieved the same level of education by doing that at the start of the podcast for the last hour and 45 minutes, I could have just talked about that. But it wouldn't have been as useful. So uh, all I'll say is, um, yeah, when we are eating whole foods, okay, uh, you are going to achieve a much greater nutrient density, which is very, very important. One of the um, uh, inherent issues with dieting is as we are eating less food, we are in, uh, taking in less vitamins, minerals, electrolytes, um, you know, the things that are very important for staying healthy and uh, functioning. So this is why um, diversity is very important, okay? I know it's very, um, uh, it's very easy to fall into eating the same thing all the time. And I think that, again, you're walking a tightrope here yourself when you do so because at the beginning, that helps you with compliancy. It's not overwhelming. You've got a certain select foods that you eat. As you get comfortable, I encourage everyone to diversify um, across the spectrum of foods uh, to cover off more micronutrition in doing so. I think that's, that's the counterbalance that you're really trying to achieve here across your fitness journey when it comes to um, micronutrient intake. And lastly, mate, I guess is supplements, right? So um, when we're looking at supplements, Obviously, this is the, the last thing you would look at. Obviously, you owned a bunch of supplement stores. Um, like when, when we look at them and you would be asked for all the supplements under the sun from the green tea X fat burner to the Timmy, the, the mm-hmm. teas and all the rest of it, man. Like, you know, yeah. you can give us some input. Um, you know, if you're eating all the above and doing everything that we said, you really shouldn't have to look too much into the supplement side of things. Like they... Like I think people overlook it and you, you know, you can't up, out supplement a bad diet. Like it's supplementation. It's to supplement a good diet. I think most people can't hit the good diet first um, rather than yeah. supplements. You know, for me, I look at like, cool. If you're struggling to get in your protein take, have some whey, like get some whey protein. Like that's a great supplement. Have some yeah. caffeine. Like, you know, that's, that's a great fat helping you to increase your, your energy output and, you know, get that fat burning on through your workouts. But for us, like, you know, other than that and making sure that like, do you even look at the probiotics or anything like that for like base level supplements for people? No. I asked you lately. No. No. Um, uh, I know we have to wrap this up very quick before my yeah, phone. Sorry. So all I'm going to say is, is that the type of supplements that people usually look for for fat loss are the stimulant variety. Yeah. They're the ones that try and block the absorption of something. None of those are going to add any or contribute a significant amount of weight loss for the investment that you make off them. Some of the stimulant variety may help you train harder, like it will give you that um, performance aid. That it has utility. Um, I don't stop people from using those things. When it comes to supplementation in a diet, the main thing I'm looking at is when someone's food preferences miss the mark with some of the micronutrient density. Okay, so someone has a way of eating which we know, and again, we can touch on vegan, vegetarian really quickly. Just here, everyone will know that um, there's a lack of B12, vitamin B12 in a vegan diet. So um, you know, supplementing with something that's missing. Uh, is a good idea. Uh, same thing applies for whatever method of eating that you choose whilst in the dieting phase. If there is something missing, um, that is probably where you should start rather than looking for anything that actually says the words fat burner or trimming. 
<laughs> awesome. Um, well, do you think we've covered off how to set up a fat loss diet? Mate, I think we got through your enormous amount of notes. I felt overwhelmingly <laughs> underprepared when I saw your notes. <laughs> Mate, I'm just like, I'm, I've got some notes because I'm talking to Ben Cant right now. Uh, yeah, I love it. <laughs> awesome, guys. Well, that is the RBT podcast. Um, this is how to set up a fat loss diet. It is episode three. We'll be coming back with more in the next episode, guys. So um, tune in, comment somewhere. If you want to learn certain things, let us know as well. But that's Travis Jones and Ben Cant from RBT Gyms. Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate.